0: Hey, everybody, thank you for downloading this very special edition of Curtain Call. I am Kevin Sullivan. I'm alongside Mr. John J. Filippelli. And this is a special episode flip because it actually brought me back from assignment. I've been on assignment for a few weeks, and uh, here I am.
1: At some future date, Kevin, you will define for me exactly what that means. (laughs) Uh, I'm very curious about being on assignment and what that's all about, but we'll get to that. This is show 13. And it's a very special and very lucky number for us because it is a retrospective look at the dozen shows that we've done and the guests that we've had and some of the very interesting things they've had to say. Review and subscribe if you like it. And uh, if not, we just we appreciate your feedback anyway. So listen to these dozen shows. These are highlights, retrospective look, and hopefully you will uh, listen and you will enjoy and you will tell your friends. And let's start,
0: Flip, with a quote from Michael K., which just so happens to be my favorite quote of the entire series so far. Let's take a listen. So uh, in your absence, the Yes Network had its own version of Next Man Up. So we had Costas, we had Ryan, we had <laughs> Kenny. We all know how well they did. I don't want to know your review of them. I want to know how hard was it for you to listen to them do your job?
2: Very painful. Flipple like this. Uh, it was like somebody making out with my wife that's what I felt like (laughs) just just felt very strange yeah I I didn't I didn't like it at all those were games that I was scheduled to do and you know in a more serious vein in 28 years in broadcasting I never ever missed an assignment because sickness. ever I don't think I missed I ever called them sick when I was a writer it's just the way I was brought up and for me to you know I have a much greater appreciation of athletes and injuries now I'm sure they want to play but I was just unable to play. And, you know, it also gave me the appreciation that everybody is uh, everybody's replaceable. You know, the world goes on when you step away. It's kind of sobering, but uh, I, I, I dedicatedly watched every single game. It was painful, but I watched every single one.
0: <laughs> Flip, like I said in the uh, intro, that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard, not just in podcasting, but probably
1: in life. You know, Michael has a great sense of humor, and you could hear it in that clip. I'm really happy that he didn't take Christopher Mad Dog Russo's advice because if he had done that, he never would have taken the yes job.
0: Chris, it's interesting that you say you never thought that FAN would work. And uh, similarly, I'd like to know where you were and what you were thinking when you heard yes. Did you think yes would work, right? Because we were one of the few first few RSNs.
3: Well, I know the t- one thing I did, and Flip won't like when I say this, I called Michael Kay, who's had a nice team going with uh mike uh, with uh, Sterling during the Yankee games. You know, he did the the innings and everything else. And I called Kay, and Mike had told me that he was going to, yes. I said, really? You're going to leave Sterling to go do TV with the Yes and the Yankees? (laughs) I thought he was making a mistake. That tells you what a dope I was. (laughs) Not a visionary, that's for sure. Um, But so from that standpoint, I was one who thought that Kay should stay put because it was such a good team. They had a good relationship. They worked well together. And then I was fortunate because the guy next to you there, Kev, um, you know, brought me into his office on a couple of occasions, um, brought me down at the Greenwich Country Club, and Mike as well, and said, you know, we like to do a little simulcast. I think that began in 03, if I'm not mistaken, Flip. Yes. I'd uh, like to do a little simulcast to two of you, and Chris, we know you don't love the Yankees, but we're hopeful that you can tame— he didn't really tell me that, but, you know, you understand that you're on a Yankee network, but— so we'd see what he got to say, but let's not go overboard, which is very fair for him to say. So Flip, you know, stepped out and brought Mike and me in on board. And remember, we're just doing a talk show on TV. And I thought that would be successful uh, because, yes, was so established at the time. I thought that I had a chance to be successful. But originally I told Michael Kay, stay where you are. You're in a great spot where you're studying. Why the hell do you want to go to work, yes, Yankee baseball uh, uh, on TV? Stay on the radio. <laughs> so that tells you what I knew. I was dead wrong, but then I was ended up working. For yes, for five or six years, and the guy to your right never one time he had to calm me down once. But other, other than that, the guy on your right let me do what I wanted to do. So give him credit.
0: Flip, can you imagine if Michael actually listened to Mad Dog and didn't take the Yes
1: job? I can't imagine this network without Michael K. Okay? I just can't. Uh, I'm really happy that uh, Michael had the good common sense to ignore Christopher Mad Dog Russo. As much as I like Chris,
0: so we've had Mad Dog. We've had Michael Kay.
1: What are we going to do now? We're going to listen to Alex Rodriguez. He's going to talk to us about the time that he spent away from the game dealing with uh, a drug suspension. And He has a lot of interesting, candid, very frank assessment of that time. So let's give a listen now. It's amazing to me. The, the arc of life to me is so amazing you know, you go back, we go back a couple of years and, you know, you, life is so great for you now, Alex, and, and you deserve it. I mean, you're also an ambassador for the game of baseball. You are so many good things now. You And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that years ago you weren't, but, you know, a couple of years ago, you were serving a one-year suspension from baseball and, and things were dark and, 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 and dark and darker on occasion. But you know what? At some point, you know, I know you took a long look at things and and, and what conclusion did you reach, Alex? Because you, I mean, this is like your, the arc of your your life, your career. Everything is just is so is such a trajectory from where you had, where we were a year not a year, a couple of years ago.
4: Yeah, you know, but I think the number one thing is accountability. Uh, I I understood that I made a mistake, and uh, I paid a deep price, and uh, I'm accountable, and there's no ends. But uh, I screwed up in a big way, I doubled down, and I was a big, big, big jerk. And uh, then I I went into deep therapy and worked on myself, turned the lens inward, and and started putting together kind of a, a plan to try to come out of this black hole that I put myself in. And it started with looking in the mirror, taking full responsibility, and then making some very, very uncomfortable calls people like yourself and people that I respect, friends, partners, mentors, um, business relationships, owners, player associations, so many people, the list is very long and it wasn't an email or a text. It was a phone call that I thought would take me three weeks and it took me more than three months um, to build the courage and the strength to call everybody and say, I'm sorry. Um, and to this day, Uh, All those people who are still in my life uh, accepted my apology and said, okay, I'm going to watch. And then I had to go out and walk the walk every day and become a better father and become uh, a better person and friend. And I think if I had to put a, a, if I can summarize what I've learned is to be grateful and appreciative for every single day for doing this podcast, for having an opportunity to have so many wonderful opportunities and partnerships. And I've told you this in private, if I don't make make it to the Hall of Fame, which I hope I do, I have no one to blame but myself, and what I hope to do one day is, because of that mistake, learn from it, become a better father, a better husband, a better son, and a better partner and friend to those people that I love that are close to me.
1: Alex and I would always talk about everybody falls. How you get up matters too, and Alex has has really mastered that part of his life. Uh, what an incredible arc he's on now, and uh, good for Alex. He's a good guy, and uh, that was a very very uh, candid and, and honest soundbite from him.
0: It was, and he was a great interview flip. Um, a Rod, no doubt, a great former Yankee. And speaking of former Yankees, we had one of the. Great former Yankee managers, Buck Showalter, on the show, uh, where he talked about how he got his nickname.
1: Buck, how did you get the name Buck?
5: You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, I wasn't some guy who walked around the locker room without any clothes on. Come on. Oh, uh, I read Wikipedia and That's what I wanted. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what we
1: want to hear. here. This is a you want to hear what people want to hear. Come on, Buck. Let's go. Let's no, go with
5: But Eddie Napoleon was my manager, who I actually took to. Uh, he was my first place coach in New York. My first year manager. Eddie was uh, the manager in Fort Lauderdale, Florida State League. I went right to the Florida State League out of college. I was drafted in the fifth round by the Yankees uh, after my junior year there at Mississippi State. And uh, I, he just said I was always at the ballpark when he got there and still there when he left. And and I was in some state of undress. That's kind of, it kind of stuck. Thank God they didn't call me buck naked. That wouldn't work very good. But, you know, I was called Matt in high school, and my mother, when I was in trouble, called me William Nathaniel. I knew that was not good.
1: There's a side to Buck Showalter a lot of people are not familiar with his, his humorous side. He has a strong sense of humor. And uh, those of us who were lucky enough to be involved in, yes, his postseason coverage of the Yankees really got a, a chance to see th- that side to him. But uh, there is obviously another side to Buck, uh, if you will, and that side is that he could be extremely serious about a number of topics. And let's take a listen. You you leave the Yankees, and um, you're moving on, and you're going to work for the Rangers and
5: uh, i didn't want to leave i had i had four coaches they wanted to fire it got down to three and whatever you may see or read or whatever that's the only reason it was about my dad had told me that at some point in my life i was going to have to make a stand it was going to be painful i didn't want to leave the yankees i loved them and but i got put in a situation where and i had nothing out there i didn't know where i was going to be my wife looked at me like i was crazy all four of those coaches ended up having a great career so i felt good about that but when I went out to interview in Arizona, uh, I didn't have anything. Jerry Collinslow called me at midnight that night and uh, when my contract ran out and asked me. And I interviewed with three other clubs and, you know, it was a whirlwind thing, but it wasn't something that I had orchestrated or wanted to do by any means.
1: When you said about a championship, you want to be part of a championship team built championship teams the yankees don't win in 96 unless you and stick do what you guys do in the prior years the diamondbacks don't get to where they get without your guidance and your hand and your input to putting that franchise together which you built that thing basically stone by stone and brick by brick so you know you could say well it wasn't there when it actually happened but yeah but you were i mean your dna is all over that
5: well, I appreciate that, John. We had a lot of you know, great scouts, play player development people and good mothers and fathers that you know, the Jeter mom and dad certainly helped things a lot. But I you know, I don't I had a couple of moments where, you know, I was up on the stage with ESPN during the World Series out in Arizona and uh I remember it's all over and they're celebrating it and I end up walking back to the hotel across, you know, against the grain of the fans and people. And not, not long, I just, it just kind of really hit me like, okay, you know, this whole thing can survive without you. You know, it's, it's humbling, but at the same time, it's kind of like life. And I certainly keep it in mind. Um, you know, I've got some things I'd love to help young players or players in general keep them from stepping on their tails like we all have. But, you know, and that happened in New York too. But instead of having some negative emotion, it was a great feeling of pride of, of being able to, have a small part of that and knowing how hard it is to do what they do. You know, whether it be Joe Tory finally getting recognized for the quality baseball man he is, it might not have ever happened. You know, uh, so, you know, there's, there's some quiet moments there where you're, you have some time to reflect and you realize that life's a little bigger than that.
1: The buck definitely stops with the buck. I mean, he uh-huh. is one of the most accountable people, one of the smartest people. And the most fun, uh, so you could say that he's uh he's an all-encompassing personality.
0: When you say fun flip, I think immediately of Iron Eagle. Hmm. You know, he grew up; his father was a comedian, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it obviously rubbed off on him because he he was a fun interview.
1: He's not only a fun interview, I mean, but he's he's one of the most accomplished play-by-play men in the business. Not only for his work at Yes on the net games, but all that he's done at CBS Sports, he's got quite the personality. and He's got quite the Quite the number of eating and strange eating habits, I'd no? I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. Let's, well, listen? Let's, yeah, let's listen. Ian, tell me something about yourself that our listeners would be, would be a revelation to our listeners, something that y- you would want them to know that they don't know about you.
2: Well, this has been out there. I'm, I'm a bit of a picky eater, Flip. I don't know if you know that. There have been a number of items. Michael Kay has gotten a lot of attention for this, and I, I understand why. Uh, it's, it, it can be shocking to people. There are a lot of items I've just never had. Not that I don't eat them or I don't consume them. Such as? I've never had them. Never. Never had a sip of coffee. I've never had really? mustard. Uh, I had ketchup once by mistake on a class trip to Washington, D.C., and they were throwing McDonald's hamburgers at the kids, and I caught one, and I was disoriented. I was out of my normal, my normal life, and I just took a bite, and there was there was ketchup on it. The only time that I've ever had ketchup, I've never had a salad. I I think roughage is a fad. I don't believe that uh, that it really matters in the grand scheme. I, I think that's uh, created by by the by the farmers. I. Uh, I haven't had a number of other items. We could get deeper if you want, and that will shock people. But this is who I am. I've got a, a Ripken-like streak going. I don't see it changing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not changing my habits. I'm now a 50-year-old man. I have, I have the same eating habits as a 9-year-old. <laughs> I would eat chicken fingers every day if that was accepted by society, but it's not.
1: Ian Eagle is one of the most interesting and fascinating people in the entire world of broadcasting, and he was such a delightful and fascinating guest. So we're going to hear more from him later on. This is our retrospective look at the best of Curtain Call. Uh, This is show 13 for us. We've done 12. If you like what we've done, please, you need to rate, you need to review, and you need to subscribe. Please. Very, very important.
0: That's the most important thing they could do.
1: Not in their lives, actually, but well, with us. Well, with us, yes. In terms of a relationship they have with (laughs) us, that's very true. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know
0: why, but it's the Apple algorithm. You write anything in there; I don't care what it is.
1: That's right. You 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 understand what Kevin said, said? Who's just back from assignment? you understand what that <laughs> means? Rate, review, subscribe. We got that down, right? We, we got, got it that done. done. I'm right. sorry. I stepped on your uh, no, transition. No, that's all right. I was going to uh, – you know, you didn't step on it. You're going to help me get there. Okay, let's so do it. So where we're going to go now is we're going to go back to Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Christopher Mad Dog Russo helped define what sports talk radio is in this town and in the country, actually, because if you start thinking about it, FAM was really the first sports talk station there was. And the simulcast, of Mike and the Mad Dog on Yes, was the first simulcast – of, of its kind. Now there's thousands of them, but actually that was the first one. And they had a wonderful relationship for many years, and then the relationship just went south. It just did. and They had a lot of problems, and uh, they're very candid and open, both of them, about it. But Christopher Dog Russo spoke to that question directly, and here's what we've to say talked about how successful we how yes was yes my, so was mike and amanda i mean the most successful thing ever in the history of sports talk radio changed the entire texture the, the, the whole landscape of sports talk radio it was great but at then well, at one point though it's not so great and you guys are the marriage that was so terrific all of a sudden is starting to dissolve how does that happen how did it happen?
3: Well, i mean i i think uh, and you were good on that um you were very good on that 30 for 30 there because you were on that Thank a lot man. um we, uh, you know, I, I, a variety of things, you know, a couple of old women getting annoyed at each other, an old married couple. You know, that probably, maybe I got a little annoyed with the Yankees constantly. Some things I did, some things Mike did. I mean, you get, you know, I, I think it was just kind of a little wear and tear, you know. I, I think that's the best way to explain it. A little wear and tear on a relationship, and it kind of—you it, it, know—19 years is a long time. I don't think there was anything specific. There wasn't the straw that broke the, you know, proverbial camel's back. I think it was just a a, a group of things. And then I was fortunate that uh, Carmazin was interested in starting a network. I was a little younger than Mike. You know, I was probably was not as oriented with the New York teams as you know. I never loved the Knicks or the Yankees, right. as you know. Right. So he said, listen, uh, if you want, uh, you can come over here, and I'll give you a channel to run, and you can do what you want to do. And you can brand it the way you want to brand it. And so once I got that on my head, then I knew that the Mike and the Mad Dog thing was probably not going to end properly, and I didn't do a good job there of making that clear to everybody over at FAN. That's 11 years ago now, but I probably should have done a better job with it. But I think in the long term, I actually think it was the best thing that happened. Um, Mike and I got along really well after that. Um, I think it was important for Mike to sort of sprout his wings and, and do something on his own, not have to worry about me. I think I was looking for a new, new challenge, even though I may have gone to a place that not many folks were aware of, Sirius XM Radio. So I time, think at the I time, think at, Chris. The ta- at the time, right? right. I, I think at the I think at the at the time I did it. I think it was the right move. I, I, you know again handled probably not properly by me, but I think overall I don't think anybody for the both of us. You know, we did the Radio City thing. You know, we've done a lot of things together. The Thirty for Thirty. So there was not a frazzled relationship after that. Mike stayed with Yes. So it for a wasn't couple of years, a, yes, a frazzled right. relationship. It was frazzled beforehand. I think it was sort of a breath of fresh air for everybody when I left there in the summer of two thousand
1: eight. Chris, the uh, just to follow, you know, follow up about Mike. When when you guys were no longer a team, you you went to Sirius Radio. Mike stayed on with the fan and with Yes. Uh, but there came a point over a couple of years, there came a point where, you know, we, we recognized that as good as Mike was, and he was, Mike's great, I mean, I could never say a bad word in terms of his talent, he's one of the most talented people in the industry. But the the truth of the matter is, the solo act didn't work nearly as well as the act with the, the two of you together, it just was not as good. So, things suffer, quality, it's, 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 it's just not the same thing. And, sometimes that can really be the, you know, the, the litmus test. And, you know, it was tough. For, it was tough for Mike. And he, I don't know if he admitted, but, it's, but by himself, not the same artist as he is with you.
3: Well, I think, you know, I had the advantage of going to a place where a lot of people didn't know me. So, I was able to start by myself, and you know it was to a lot of people it was something different. Mike had to stay at a place where he was with a partner for nineteen years right. so and I think the other thing that you got to keep an eye on uh, with our relationship is that you know I started my career in the radio, and Mike started his career with the teams and c b s and behind the scenes and all that research stuff and all the knowledge that he came up with, Brent and everything else, right, right. so we had two different paths to the same spot but you know i always looked at myself as a good radio person uh you know i the pacing of a show how to direct a show moving it along properly when to put a guest on when to take a phone call when to yell when to just listen and i think that served me well when i came over here and i think that if if anything that's probably what mike missed is the guy there that can you know to set it up and set the pacing of the show up in a proper in a in a proper direction i missed mike's knowledge and his contacts and the give and take, but I had the radio background to be able to do it on Sirius, which at the time was five hours a day. And Mike probably missed the goofball there who could get to the breaks on time and all those kinds of things. So, so you're like Ron I think Howard. we both missed each like other Howard, there for Chris. a little
1: bit. You are li- like Ron Howard. I mean, you no learned the cra- Yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean
3: Abbott and Costello. You know, <laughs> I mean, they worked together for so long as a good team, and one of them leaves, yet they're both are still going to do shows individually. Uh, it's and I think it also what hurts Mike is that the, the when I got to Sirius there was nothing to compare me to because no, there wasn't true. Mike and the Mad Dog right. on Sirius. When I left, Mike, you know, he had a Mike and a, he had to compare it to the Mike and the Mad Dog thing. Right. So anybody you brought in there, it was going to be tricky. Mike was in a tricky spot. Let's be honest, he totally. was in a tricky spot. I was starting something completely different. A break. Mike was doing the same thing without the same without the same components. Makes it harder for him. The next one to make a run at the top of the
6: East. And you can watch from anywhere with Fox Sports Go. Every big dunk. On a rack attack. Every shot from downtown. All season long on Fox Sports Go.
1: The Eagle, the Birdman, was absolutely soaring there. And speaking of majestic flights, Kev. Are you kidding How about the great John Sterling?
0: Wow, what a segue, Flip. Uh, speaking of great... Uh, uh sterling yeah he was great we loved having him um i loved personally we found out about how he does his home run calls john we've tiptoed around the home run conversation i want to jump right in because this is the topic i'm most excited about if that's all right with you uh can you walk me through your home run process uh, the Yankees get a new player. I envision you're at home at your desk with papers crumpled up, your head, head <laughs> in your hand. <laughs> is that what's going on?
6: <laughs> no, well, nothing is on paper, that's for sure, because I don't do I, do, I live life and broadcast by the seat of my pants. Well, when it began, it was just, you know, burn, baby, burn. And and a few others, you know, the Bam Tino. And, <laughs> it wasn't meant to be for every player. Well, it took off. So I should be happy about it. And now it is for every player. And uh, some, some are tougher than others. And um, I will admit this. I've told this story before. When the Yankees got Giancarlo, I called up Berlitz. And I spoke to their Italian master who acted with a gal, Linda Merlot. And I said to her, i need a short phrase that rhymes <laughs> i explained what i did she had no idea what i did i explained what i did and i said if you want to think about it if you're old enough remember ronzoni had that phrase mm-hmm. ronzoni buoni.' yes I remember? well ronzoni <laughs> so, is so good so a couple of days later she called back and she said i think i have it for you and she came up with a Non si può stoparlo. Giancarlo. Non si può stoparlo, <laughs> which means you can't be stopped. Oh, so That's what all. it means? Well, he was stopped this year because he hasn't played all year. <laughs> but, he did it to um, himself. There you go. The, the others, you know, I I I try to think. I have to think. And now, you know, uh, last night, um, Kyle Higashioka hit two home runs. Higashioka, the home run stroker, and. uh, Mabin hit a home run hammering Cameron. I mean, it's just a nice as you say play on words That's all it is and people who don't like it take it seriously You know, I guess my answer to either the critics or those people are You know be like me if you don't like it don't listen to it if I don't like it I have very strong likes and dislikes if I don't like something. I don't read it listen to it watch it etc.
1: Kevin John right. Sterling is absolutely amazing. You know, he has worked more than 5,000 games consecutively in the radio booth. Think about that.
0: Five th- I thought I was a hard worker.
1: You really are. And uh, he's done over 5,000 games that we just mentioned. But you know what? We did ask him about if there was a game that he could have been in the booth for and he wasn't to go back in time, what would that game be? What I would ask you is this. If you Now, you know Yankee history. You obviously know, I don't Broadway, but, and a lot of things, but you really know Yankee history, okay? If you could go back and pick one call that you were not involved with, you know, from the history of the Yankees, okay? So that's a lot of years before you got there, okay? A lot of years since, but a lot of years before. If you could do one call from one game, what call would it be? What would you want to call that you missed in Yankee history?
6: Oh, boy, what a question. Uh, what a question. Um In one of the many World Series between the Yankees and Dodgers, Mickey Mantle batting left-handed at a Grand Slam to left field at Ebbets Field, left center field mm-hmm. in the upper deck, and I wish I'd made that call. That, that would have been great. How about
1: Jackie and Yogi? Would you like to have called that?
6: Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, I saw that. I saw the Mantle Grand Slam on TV as well. Um you know, you know, about the Yankee thing of stuff, I thought you were going to ask, which I would have given a different answer, what teams would I have liked to have called? I feel the most unknown great Yankee teams began in 1936 with Joe D. And they won the pennant and the World Series four straight years. And then they finished just a couple of games out in 40. And then they won the pennant in 41, 42, and 43 and won the World Series in 41 and 43. So I thought those Yankee teams were great, and no one knows them. They remember 27. Oh, the they Warriors. remember you know, 51, the Warriors. They remember 98. Yeah, but yeah the Warriors. I wish I had so. seen Joe DiMaggio play when he was a young man.
0: It really was a pleasure having Sterling on the show, Flip. Uh, I think it's fair to say one of the great voices in the game. Is that fair?
1: No doubt. One of the great voices in the history of broadcasting, Kevin. And speaking of great people in the history of broadcasting – Jim McKay. Jim McKay, the voice in the presence and wide world of sports and ABC's coverage of so many Olympic games, including the 1972 in Munich, the famous They're All Gone, with reference to the Israeli hostages and what had happened to them there. And um, just an incredible figure in the history of broadcasting. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have his son, the president of CBS Sports, Sean McManus, on our show. And Sean talked about the very, very special relationship that uh, he had with his dad. I had the privilege of working with your dad when I was at ABC, your dad, the legendary Jim McKay, host of Wide World of Sports, host of the Olympics, host of so many things, and a a constant presence on on American television for four decades, Um, and a a true gentleman, and I understand why why you're such a gentleman, because I I worked with your dad and he was one of the greatest people I've ever known. I mean that uh, not only on air, but I mean just as a, a human being. What was it like growing up having being your dad Jim mcKay what what influence did he have on you and, and what was it like growing up with having him as your dad
7: yeah well I appreciate first of all the really kind words because he was the ultimate gentleman and he was the ultimate professional but growing up with him except for the fact that he was away most weekends, uh, which meant that he couldn't see some of my athletic um, achievements probably too strong a word but athletic competitions that was a real downside for my family and for my mom but the good news is is that he more than made up for it when he was home during the week and being able on every vacation to go to um, you know the US Open golf championships or the Olympics or the Kentucky Derby or the World Water Skiing Championships in Cypress Gardens or the, or the world barrel jumping championships in in uh, Grossingers, New York. It was so much fun to watch the world of sports through his eyes, and he would come back from an event like the 24 Hours of Le Mans and just tell me these stories about A.J. Foyt and, um, you know, all the other drivers. And it was it was just a great way to grow up, and he taught me so many lessons instinctively about storytelling and, you know, what what makes a good broadcast and what makes a good announcer that I knew from the time I was 12 years old, really, what I wanted to do for a living. And it was to be in sports television. I I wanted to be a producer, and I I was fortunate to get involved in in management also later in my career. But I mean, growing up with him as a father was the best thing ever. And, um, you know, it, it, um, it really, as I said, cemented in me what a good broadcaster is. And it cemented to me also what a good you know, what a good man should be, and it should be someone who is dedicated and someone who works really hard and someone who puts a high priority on his profession, but not to the detriment of his personal life. And he was, you know, a great father and a great husband and eventually a great grandfather, and as much as he accomplished um, in the television booth, you know, the most important thing to him was his, his family. He used to say when people would ask him you know, what's, what's your favorite trip that you get to take? And he would say, my favorite trip is my trip back home after an event. So it was, I consider myself incredibly fortunate to have him as a, as a mentor and as a role model and as a friend uh, who really taught me from the ground up from the time I was a little boy a lot about sports television. And the good news is, John, and, and you just echo it, that wherever I go, still today, it happens really on a regular basis. Someone will come up to me and say, you know, I work with your dad at the, you know, the 1983 Kentucky Derby, and he was such a gentleman to me. You know, I was only the production assistant, but, you know, he was incredibly, um, you know, incredibly generous, wanted to know about me. you have time for one more story? Sure. Sure. Um, this was really brought home to me a number of years ago. I was in the studio for NFL coverage and one of our um, our, uh, researchers named Matt, uh, who works for us on the weekends, came up to me and said, I got to tell you a story about your dad. He said, I was a, um, a waiter in the Brown Hotel in Louisville during the Kentucky Derby. And he said, your dad Um, every morning for four days straight, had room service, had the same thing. And I said, I know what it was. It was two eggs over easy and English muffin and crisp bacon. He said, that's exactly right. He said, but every time I went to your dad's room and he would be there, you know, in his bathrobe, I would go to your dad's room and we would have a conversation, whether it was about my family, whether it was about his family, whether it was about the Kentucky Derby and who your dad thought was going to win the race. And he said, listen, most people sign the check and say, thank you, and off they go. But each time he forged a bond with me and formed a friendship with me. So, you know, I still, when he was alive, I still would occasionally send him a note and I remain in contact with him. That's just a, a perfect quintessential Jim McKay story that he made friends and started a relationship with the waiter from room service at Brown's Hotel. In, in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and there's a million stories like that that I hear all the time, and it's one of the you know, the great benefits that, that his memory and his presence still lives on today in the stories that people are telling me.
1: That was a very, very special, very moving, very touching uh, recollection Sean had of, of his dad, the late, great Jim McKay, and there's nothing like those father and son bonds, and uh, you know we've had more than one on this show, Kev, haven't we?
0: We have. One of my favorites was um, Al Leiter, of course Al was drafted by the Yankees and decades later, his son was drafted by the same team. Here's Al talking about it. Going back to the beginning, Al, at the top of the show, Flip mentioned that you got your start with the Yankees. In fact, you were drafted by the Yankees and if you fast forward a couple decades, as luck would have it, your son was drafted by the Yankees. <laughs> How cool is that? was that to have both of you drafted by the same team?
7: Yeah,
8: very, um, I listen. I didn't know what, what uh, Damon Oppenheimer was going to do or slash Brian Cashman, but I did know after my son, who you know who is a good pitcher, uh, we told everybody that he wasn't going to sign, he's going to go to Vanderbilt. And there were about 10 or 11 teams because he was, he, he was going to be a first-rounder, guys. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, education mattered. He wanted to go to college at Vanderbilt. So I wasn't sure. I had no idea which team, and I had no idea, obviously, what round. So when I got the call uh, – that the Yankees in the 20th round. I just I thought it was cool with respect to just as you said, Kevin. You know I was drafted. I of course signed, and here the Yankees ended up, you know, in a, in a very nice gesture, um, you know, drafting them. And it was you know actually the 20th round was pretty early. Often they they make these picks in the 30s to you know 40. So uh, I was a bit surprised, but uh, that was a very nice uh, gesture for sure.
0: And they knew the Yankees knew going in that your son was going to Vanderbilt. Is that right?
8: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, think, um, you know, it was, it was clear, but, you know, I think from my understanding, in addition to just a nice gesture, it also creates what is viewed as, you know, a part of your life, part of your story, part of your history and connect the dots kind of thing. And, um, you know, uh, you know, the Yankees will forever have been part of my son's, um, baseball career, right? No matter what happens moving forward, and a very significant part with respect to a high school senior getting drafted by a major league
1: team. Wow, what a very special bond Al Leiter has with his son. Um, that it was uh, actually very moving in a lot of ways. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, speaking about moving, a manager who moved through a lot of teams, bounced around a lot, but really goes down as one of the great managers in the history of the game was Billy Martin. And Al Leiter has his recollections of Billy, so let's take a listen to that.
0: Of course, you played for Sito Gaston. He was the manager of that team. Um, and Flip mentioned you played 19 seasons, and Sido is just one name in a long line of great managers you played for. Jim Leland, Joe Torre, Bobby Valentine. Uh, I think listeners, though, of this show, Al, want to know, what was it like to play for Billy Martin?
8: <laughs> I was going to say, how are the heck is Kevin forgetting Billy Martin? <laughs> um, you know what? In truth, so I, I get to the big leagues. Uh, uh, Lou Pinella is the manager, and that was, the, you know, when things were a bit of a mess for the Yankees. Um, the, Yanke- the Mets were winning across town. Um, you know, George was, you know, trying to compete and doing everything he could to win, and, you know, we were just falling short. And then here comes Billy Martin. And, and honestly, Kevin, I mean, it was things in which when I was a kid, and I stayed home for, you know, the, the one-game playoff, the Bucky Dent game up at Fenway, and, you know, all of, although that was Bob Lemon, but I think about the times of watching Billy Martin, his craziness, and all I could tell you is that Billy Martin w- couldn't have been nicer to me, and all of the horror stories that I've heard about him treating young players and, in particular, young pitchers, I don't know why, but he was he was, he was was nice to me. I don't know whether he, he saw he saw maybe a lineage of, of possibly the baton being passed on from, you know, I kept hearing about Guidry to Rigetti to Leiter, um, but he was, he was, he was good to me.
0: I read somewhere that he asked you once to go out there and only throw fastballs. Is that true?
8: That is true. So I had a game. Well, actually it was Joel Skinner behind the plate and um, I'm I'm in a mess and um, at Fenway and it's a big series. It was early in the season And um, I remember I I, I got in trouble. My typical give up a bloop and a couple walks. And uh, I'm battling through uh, Ellis Burks, and I'm trying to use all my pitches, and he keeps calling fastballs, and I'm shaking. And then I'm shaking, and he's putting down fastball, and I'm shaking. (laughs) And then I see Joel Skinner, like, nudging his head toward the third base dugout, which is the visiting dugout at Family Park. And he's, like, basically saying, this is coming from the bench. And Billy, now normally Billy was, he would get mad if you told him it was a fastball. So I I threw another fastball, foul off Ellis Burks, another fastball, another foul off, and he calls it fastball again, and he hits it up on top of the speaker in center field. And uh, I give up a grand slam. I don't know. I don't think I get out of third or fourth inning. And I go into the clubhouse, and I have a couple pops, and I think I'm feeling a little bit, you know, a little buzzed. And I started uh, my post-game interview with things that you probably shouldn't, you know, start getting on Billy. And uh, Michael Kay, when he was a beat writer for The Post, looking at me basically going, don't go there, don't go there.
0: Oh, wow. And, uh, he saved my you My old buddy, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, saved uh, you again. I, it, I would.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we promised you one more Iron Eagle, so we're going to take flight with one more Iron Eagle here. The bird is going to soar once again here. We asked him if he could go back in time and call one game or be in the broadcast booth for one moment what would that moment be? Whew.
2: That's a great question. You know, I'm going to be very upfront here, and I recognize fully uh, all of the aspects of my employment and this podcast. But it would be the '86 World Series. That's that's the event that uh, would probably be the one if I could be dropped. Into it, parachute in, and it would be a hot tub time machine. That would probably be the one. Just the drama, the the whole way that that series developed, and considering the end result, uh, that's probably the one that that comes to mind first.
0: Well, Flip, that was a lot of fun. It was good to go back and listen to some of those. Um, I think the hardest part was actually leaving some of this on the cutting room floor.
1: Well, what that does, Kevin, is leave us room to do a Best of Curtain Call Part 2. Oh, I like that idea. Well, hopefully we don't get to that soon, but we'll get to it down the road, okay? But we will give that. We'll do that again because we do have enough room for another show.
0: I think we do. Good. I like that. And if you like what you listen to, mm-hmm. rate, review, subscribe.
1: Rate, review, and subscribe. And that does what, Kevin?
0: Uh, that kind of kicks us up, the algorithm on Apple, on iTunes. Uh, so it's very important. So if we want people to find us... We need people like you, the listeners, to rate, review, subscribe. Very, very important.
1: Please do that for us, and we'll continue to uh, give you the best efforts we can and get you some of the most interesting guests in the world of sports and the world of sports entertainment. So with that, Kev, we are?
0: Well, I'm going back on assignment. Wow. Yes, so
1: I, I'm sorry you came off actually, but 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 a <laughs> <laughs> your back I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what this assignment thing means, but you guess what? We'll figure it out, and we'll talk about it when you uh come back. sounds like a plan that plan hope is not a plan. Remember that hope hope is not a plan. I leave you with with that with those great words of wisdom. Hope is not a plan.
0: think strategically, not tactically.
1: wear white at night. <laughs>
0: For Mr. John J. Filippelli I'm Kevin Sullivan saying Flip, we'll see you next time
1: I look forward to it, Kev